0: The first time somebody recognized my voice from the podcast, he thought I was David Brady. Oh, really? (laughs) It's like, oh, my God, I know your voice from somewhere. I'm like, do you listen to Ruby Rogues? Oh, my God, you're David Brady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have more hair than David. It comes across in your voice. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic.
2: Welcome to the first episode of Bizarro Ruby Rogues, featuring Aaron, Matt, Jeff, and me, Elise Worthy. Where have your regular hosts gone? I have no idea. Erin, do you want to go first?
3: Sure. <laughs> hey, everyone. My name is Aaron Parker. I've been learning Ruby on Rails since August of last year, and uh, I'm using it to build a site called Spitfire Athlete, which is a fitness network for women.
4: Matt, how you doing? I've been using Ruby for about a about a year and a half, and uh, I'm just working on a couple personal projects right now, or projects that I'd hope to release soon, and that's about it.
2: Jeffrey the Giraffe. (laughs)
5: Hi, I'm Jeff Petrie. Yeah, and I've been uh, working with uh, Ruby for probably about four to five months now, but on and off for uh, a few years. But this has been really the first time I've been diving uh, farther than than just sort of a cursory look.
2: Cool. And I'm Elise Worthy. I have been dabbling with Ruby for the past two years. But earlier this year, I was accepted into Living Social's Hungry Academy program and was in an intensive developer training program for five months, and have been working professionally as a developer for the last six months. Uh, I guess we should introduce our other two hosts. I don't know. What do you think?
0: (laughs) Uh, Everyone knows us already, right? (laughs) Good good morning, folks. Uh, This is uh, Josh Susser, uh, one of your regular Ruby Rogues, uh, visiting Bizarro World.
1: And I'm Charles Maxwood. Thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. I love this show. Um, I'm I'm working right now on a a course for people who want to learn Ruby on Rails, and you can sign up for that at railsrampup.com. Basically, the highlights are I'm going to get you to the point where you're building and deploying your own Rails app, and you get basically unlimited access to me as you're learning how to do that. So Um, it's an eight week course. I figure that's long enough to really help you get through the hard parts. So anyway, that's what I'm working on. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, um, so, so Matt, I was wondering if you could settle a bet for us. Do you actually know how to pronounce your last name? (laughs)
4: Razika, <laughs> although anything works, I, I don't actually think we. I've heard a Czech say my last name before, and it kind of blew my mind. So, it's, it's a Czech name. So, yeah, about anything works. As I realize that I don't even say it correctly. Do <laughs> you feel like Riziska or something? I don't even know. <laughs> so, well, well, then I guess James was right. He just has
1: a really fuzzy regex for his last name. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, I'm sure the soundex uh, configuration for that name is pretty. Never mind. Uh,
0: <laughs> so, so, it's, so, yeah. So, so this episode's been a long time coming, and I'm I'm so excited to be on the show with you guys this morning. Yeah, you know, we we now have uh, have uh, people on Ruby Rogues who can talk about uh, stuff for a huge part of our audience that we haven't been able to address on our show. So I'm I'm excited to be on the show with you all and to hear what it's like to be new to Ruby and in the Ruby world.
2: I actually have a question for everyone. Um, I'm interested in what made you start learning Ruby. Like what was the first little spark that made you interested in learning?
4: So about two years ago, I just like had all these ideas for websites and I realized that I wasn't going to be able to pay a developer to do it. So I figured it was worth uh, exploring the world of programming. And I just sort of fell in love with programming and then over the summer, I just like, I just decided that I wanted to master a language and I found the uh, Rails tutorial and it was going through like building a Twitter clone, which at the time was uh, basically all that I really needed to know how to do to get my idea up and running. And so Ruby just seemed to have like the support system to get me started and I've really enjoyed it. So it was really ideas, like ha- having ideas that I wanted to build that drove my learning process. And Matt, what drove you to,
5: uh, what drove you directly to Ruby though?
4: I went to uh, some programming meetups and people it's really really tough um for beginners to decide on a technology like you hear PHP, Ruby, Python, Java, all these things and all these people who use their technologies arguing that theirs is better and it it can be really confusing to choose one but um so but people uh kind of just pointed me to the correct resources for r- learning Ruby and I I just uh, went on there and it seemed to be exactly what I was looking for so it was sort of luck that I ended up doing Ruby I think Nice. Nice. I, I guess the
0: question is good luck or bad luck.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for me it was um you know, I've been I've been working in um as a developer for, for a while now and um I was basically drawn um I, I needed to break out of sort of a, a rut that I was in and I was feeling a bit uh, discouraged and um sort of underwhelmed about you know where where my next steps were gonna be. And I was this is, was basically a last attempt for me to try to get re-enthusiastic or is that even a word uh, to get enthusiastic again about uh about what my next steps would look like and um and what was great was that when I found uh, Ruby and I found what was behind it was um this real interest in um you know not just being um uh, not just sort of the standard experience of looking at uh being a a developer and 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 the things that come along with that but also sort of the um more to do and i i i know this 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 is a loaded phrase but uh, also the the craftsmanship behind it so there was a, a real uh sense of um there was a sense of ownership of what you were doing instead of just shipping you were shipping good stuff and really, that's what was um, the thing that got me excited about uh, learning Ruby, and that's really what's been driving me since. Is that uh, when I found this these resources and the people behind it, uh, many of them at least, uh, were so excited about um, building really solid stuff uh, that it was it was very difficult for me to uh, not be uh, enthusiastic about uh, the future in in development again development um, again.
1: What What about you, Elise?
2: My best friend from high school is named Jesse Proudman and he owns a hosting company. Actually, they host Ruby Rose, uh, Blue Box. And he's always been sort of the, the model for, for who I consider a programmer. Um, I've known him since he was 13 and he's, he's a really cool guy, not kind of your stereotypical programmer. Um, and I had the opportunity to go work for Blue Box and went to RubyConf 2009 and was totally blown away by the rest of the people in the Ruby community, just how kind everyone was, how accepting everyone was. I got to meet just dozens of people who were influential and exciting and it it made me kind of jealous. <laughs> like I I wanted to be involved other than just a marketing person. And so that kind of piqued my interest. I actually, the first book I bought was Peter Cooper's Beginning Ruby, I think, or maybe it's just called Ruby. And uh, right when I started that job and slowly made my way into to learning
1: some Ruby. Awesome. What about you, Aaron?
2: Yeah, so back in um,
3: April of 2012... I actually was looking on meetup.com for something to do on the weekend, and there was a Rails bridge for women that was hosted at Pivotal Labs, and I thought, and and the the messaging of the meetup was very beginner-friendly, so it was like, hey, you can come from all backgrounds, all levels, doesn't matter, we'll teach you how to build a Rails app from start to finish by the end of the day. And I was like, wow, if there's anything I should do this weekend, it's this thing. And I actually didn't even know what Ruby on Rails was outside of some technical thing. I just knew it was a technical thing, and I just thought it sounded fun. But I went, and i it just opened my eyes completely. I saw so many possibilities, and I always just kept it in my back pocket. And it wasn't really until August later that year when I uh, wanted to build Spitfire in some way, shape, or form, and I only knew HTML and CSS. And I was just ready to dive back into what we started at um, at Railsbridge. And since then, I've just picked it up and committed to it, and um, started with Tri Ruby, and continued on with Michael Hartle's book, and just just went on from
0: there. So that sounds really cool. And so it it sounds like three of of you guys didn't have any programming experience at all, or very little. Before coming to Ruby, right? Je- you know, Jeff, you'd been programming before, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Aaron and Elise and Matt, <clears throat> you you all just came to, to programming through Ruby, which I'm kind of jealous, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, s- I started with Basic.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel really. I do feel really lucky. I think it was just mostly chance, um, but. I've been able to, like, I went to a PyCon and I was just at CodeMash and I, I feel really lucky to be in the Ruby
1: community. So what is it about the community that you, that, that you find different? Cause I've been to a few programming conferences that aren't Ruby and I've noticed that the feel is different as well, but I'm curious what your experience is.
2: You know, I don't know if that's something that I can describe. I meet more people at Ruby conferences and I, I have no idea why um but at CodeMash I I actually gave a talk on integrating novice developers into existing engineering teams which was really fun and terrifying um I at the beginning of the talk I was like hello please introduce yourself to me because I have no friends here <laughs> like I would <laughs> like to be your friend afterwards <laughs> um and I definitely never feel that way at, at Ruby conferences I didn't feel that way at my first one I don't know I I think something about the language attracts people that are either like me or friendly or who knows
4: yeah when i was when i was living in new york for a while about every other week i was going to the ruby meetups there and they'd usually be hosted at pivotal labs and it was just a really it's a really exciting atmosphere you get, have almost nearly 100 people depending on the night and everyone's just talking about the newest happenings in ruby and or hacking hacker news articles and free beer and it's just like kind of a a great gathering to just hang out with other people who are uh, learning the same thing and going through the same things you are.
0: Oh, uh, now you're making me nostalgic. I I really liked the uh, New York Ruby meetups. Are, are they still all about the bad pizza?
4: I I like the pizza. I okay. I, would, I actually use that as a excuse to go all the time. I was like, oh well, I got to eat dinner somehow. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess,
0: the, I guess I guess Pivotal's in a better part of the city where you can get better pizza. Yeah, maybe. Huh. That's cool. Yeah, th- th- those were those were impressively large groups that that would turn out in New York. So, so th- that's a good group of people.
1: So I, I, I'm wondering a little bit: is is there something about the community that contributes to making it easier for new people to come in?
3: Uh, one thing I noticed. So I think it was earlier this week. I started trying to learn a little bit more about CoffeeScript and Backbone and and some of the JavaScript frameworks. And I was kind of surprised at how hard it was to find basic introductory tutorials that were good. And I think I've definitely been spoiled by all the high quality introductory tutorials in the Ruby on Rails community that are easy to pick up, well explained, very, very simple to go through. But, uh, most of the, I don't know, maybe this is just because I, I haven't been in it enough yet, but it just wasn't as easy. And, uh, like I couldn't, I couldn't find a Rails cast equivalent for it. So, I definitely think it's it's easier for you to find beginner tutorials in the Ruby community, and to just have all your beginner questions answered on Stack Overflow, which has been really nice. That's actually really funny.
2: Uh, so, uh, Aaron, do you know Peepcode? Uh, nope. <laughs> oh, awesome. So, um, I I am the luckiest beginning Rubyist ever because I used to live in Seattle, and. Um, Peep Code is done by Jeffrey Grossenbach um, and Jeff lives in Seattle. Uh, Mm
0: -hmm. Otherwise known as Top Funky.
2: Top Funky.
1: Yep. Um, On Twitter and GitHub.
2: Yep. Yep. And he is one of the really amazing Seattle RB folks. Um, But he does a screencast series called Peep Code. And one of my original picks was his CoffeeScript tutorial. it's really good. So uh, that's a total side. But um, I think uh, you're right that the Ruby and Rails communities have really good tutorials. And I think some are branching out into JavaScript. So that's kind of a lucky transition for me.
5: <laughs> that's the drive of the community, though, isn't it? I mean, that's part of the reason why I've been so excited about being uh, going into Ruby further is because... Um, It just, it doesn't end there. It's the people that are behind this that are constantly driving. I mean, that was a perfect example. Not only are they driving towards, you know, producing better Ruby code, producing better Rails apps, producing better whatever, but they're also talking about, that's, that's the, they're talking about the spectrum of, of, of what your stack's gonna look like too, which includes things like JavaScript or CoffeeScript or, or what have you. So, and,
4: and it, um, and that's really the fun part about all of this.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
4: At the, uh, I just went to a St. Louis Ruby meetup about a week ago, and I was going to do. I did a talk on Links and I was thinking it's Rails four. It's great for a Ruby meetup, but it ended up all being about CoffeeScript, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So, I was, so I, as I was doing, I was like, "Wait a second! There's no Ruby in here." <laughs> it's. I, I think there's
0: a lot of uh, polyglotism. Is right. that a word, Jeff? Right. <laughs> P- uh, polyglottery uh, in uh, the Ruby world. In- Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, I, I know that. Uh, like, if you go to a Ruby conference, there's always a bunch of talks that are not even remotely about Ruby. It's kind of amusing, but I think it's a cool part of the community too. For for people who've been, um, like, at least you said you've been going to uh, like PyCon and other conferences. Do you, do you get that same sort of polyglot perspective at the other conferences too?
2: I think so. I mean, so I don't have that much experience, so <laughs> my my opinion is very limited, but. I appreciated that a lot of the workshops and sessions at Codemash, um, were introducing different technologies. Um, so if you were a .NET person, you could go to a Ruby course or uh, a beginning Django workshop or something like that. I, d- I did feel like there was some polyglottery, <laughs> polyglottism, uh, there. But I think the the mesh between um, and someone correct me if they disagree with this, but I think the mesh between uh, Rails and JavaScript, particularly CopyScript, is um, pretty symbiotic and we're moving in that direction. And I think that's pretty cool.
0: So so I I have a question uh, for all of you about um, since we've been talking about community and that's... uh, you know, it, it feels, uh, like from within the echo chamber of the Ruby world that, uh, that the Ruby community is both, like, really interested in doing something positive around diversity and also, uh, sometimes, uh, struggles a lot with the topic. Uh, but that, uh, but that's a, there's a lot of people in the Ruby world who really want to create a more diverse community and make it welcoming for all sorts of people. So I'm, I'm curious, since you guys are new to the community, uh, you know how well are we doing
2: This is a pet point for me <laughs> and Josh you know that um,
0: Well yeah uh, this is a pet point for me too so yeah. so have at, have at it
2: <laughs> Gosh so everything that's worth doing is very hard <laughs> I think and being involved in programming as a woman is no exception I I think the Ruby community and the vast majority of people in the Ruby community Are very wonderful and accepting and pro diversity. And, but then there are just some total jerks (laughs) that uh, are not accepting and have very limited views and don't even want newbies around. And, um, it makes it really difficult because it, it challenges, it's challenged my life view. I mean, what I am really passionate about. And, uh, it makes it, incredibly difficult as someone that doesn't look like everyone else at a Ruby conference. It, it makes it really challenging. So yeah, it's something I struggle with frequently.
0: Okay. And, and anyone else?
2: Yeah. Um, actually what's, what's interesting was
3: when the, when I went to RailsBridge, the, the very first one, it was, I think there were definitely well over a hundred women there And that was my introduction to the Ruby community. So I guess I have a a slightly different perspective because not only did I see um, a room full of women who were all interested in programming, but what I saw a lot was women who came from non-technical backgrounds who are now developers. So there's a girl who majored in philosophy, and she came to Silicon Valley and was like, hey, I just want to learn how to program. I realized I can't get a job um, with my philosophy major, and she started reading Ruby books like they were literature, like from start to finish, and started picking it up, and now she's a developer at ModCloth. And I was just I was amazed. Um, I met a lot of people like her. And um, that that community, I've been uh, more involved in it as time has gone by. And I also recently um, there was a Women Who Code event. And uh, that same day, a friend of mine who's not related to tech at all, she's she's actually a student in optometry. She texted me. She was like, "Hey Aaron, I want to go party with you tonight." And I said, "Well, I'm not partying, but do you want to come to Women Who Code?" And she she laughed and she said, "Um, oh, okay, sure, I'll come." So she came and she just had an open mind and, and met lots of women there. And at the end of the event, she said to me, wow, I've never seen so many smart driven women in one room. It makes me feel like I can be in tech too. And I, I now view this as one of the opportunities I could pursue. And uh, I, I just think that's that's just incredible. You know, it's very, very open-minded. But to Elisa's point, like there are definitely people who have messaged me and have said things like, "Hey, are you actually a programmer? Do you really code, or, or is it? You know, are you fake?" <laughs> like, I've actually gotten that before on Twitter, uh, twice, by two very random people, and uh, I was kind of surprised that someone would dare ask that. But I responded and I said, "Yes, I am. Here's my GitHub. Um, I actually do. I actually do what I say I do." So there's definitely wow. a little
2: bit of that. <laughs>
5: That's a calling. That's just appalling.
2: That happened to me at Code Mash too. Someone was asking me about a, a job, uh, unbelievably, and uh, said, "So you're you are you a designer at Living Social? You, do you do you actually write code?" And yeah, it yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> no, no, I I really do. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Who, who, whose girlfriend are you?
2: I know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah, it's it's funny though cuz at the same time I've walked up to, you know, groups and said, "Okay, well, you know, how long have you been coding and where do you work?" and yeah, I'll, I'll get to somebody who is actually the girlfriend. Oh, I don't, you know, <laughs> and they're a little embarrassed. So but but yeah, I think I think the assumption one way is is much more acceptable than the assumption the other way.
2: Well, Definitely.
1: Yeah. If you're at a, if you're at a conference for developers,
0: I think it's fair to assume that most people there are developers. Yeah, I agree.
5: Uh, um, I think things like RailsBridge are just outstanding, though. It's such uh, a—I just know it on a very cursory level. We don't have um, anything that's uh, that that deep in the community out out here, um, but uh, that I'm aware of, at least. Um, I know that our um, technology um, group in in Albuquerque and in New Mexico is, is definitely working towards broadening um or creating a, a more diverse uh network of individuals um but i think that it's uh it's it's this is something that we just need to continue to, to work toward without any question um like Elise said anything that's worth doing um is is worth working for and um you know i i, I, I for me um i don't i don't have um the same sort of um uh, uh being a white male i have definitely some different. um I'm in a different position than a lot of people are, and um, you know, the the but the, the thing for me is that I have two daughters, and so um, there, this is a, a an important issue for um, for all of us. Um, but it's also near and dear to my heart for sure.
1: Yeah, I have two daughters as well, and you know, I mean, one of my daughters is very art- artistic, and my other daughter is three and hasn't really you know shown a whole lot of interest in in anything either way. But at the same time. You know, I want I want this to be open to them if they decide that they're interested. And uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely gonna expose them to that, you know, say, look, you know, here's how you program, here's how you learn, you know, and then if they're not interested, then fine, they can go do these other things. But yeah, I, I think I think a lot of a lot of this discussion goes into the math and sciences areas and uh, I, I think there's it's not an explicit bias, but it's an unspoken bias. That you know, we kind of push the the boys towards math and science, and the girls towards uh, homemaking and 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 you know other stuff. And uh, you know, I I think I think girls are as good at it as boys, and sometimes they bring a perspective that I just don't see. And and so there's some real power there that we can get if we if we open things up.
5: And yeah, you know, as an aside, um in my not my current position um but in uh, a previous job i was actually uh, a technical manager of a development team and um i had the really good fortune of working with um up to t- with two talented uh, developers and you know um i had the really great opportunity to um uh, learn from a woman who been a fantastic who who is still a fantastic developer and it was a, it was a great experience for me there. And, and, uh, definitely, uh, it definitely helped me improve as a, as a programmer in the future, working with both of them. But, you know, just, uh, the point being that, um, gender is simply just not an issue. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, I, I kind of want to ask another question. So if there's nothing else to be said on this, I'm sure there's always something else to be said on this, but if there's nothing else that we want to share at the moment, then I'm going to change tracks just a little bit. What I want to know is what's, what are the challenges that face new people coming into Ruby? Like I said, I mean, it's been, I, I learned Ruby in like 2006. And so, I mean, the community's changed, the language has changed, the environment that we work in has changed. And so I really don't know what it's like for people coming in now and what what roadblocks come up for them.
2: I saw something really interesting on, I think it was Twitter yesterday or, uh, actually, no, it was on Parlay. Jeff was quoting uh Steve Klavnik. Jeff Kasmir was quoting Steve Klavnik and said, if you're learning Ruby now, it's like starting or learning Rails Now, it's like starting a soap opera on the seventh season. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I think I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I know even in the past couple of years that I've been involved in Rails, things have become different and you know, the tutorials take time to catch up. And so even just the tech changes can be crippling if you don't know how to debug, if you don't know um, what error messages mean. One small change um, like uh, Ruby uh, nine hash syntax could, you know, take up hours of work for a newbie just to figure out
4: yeah I almost I almost quit programming the first day I tried to install rails I think it took me about four or five hours and I mean now I'm used to taking four or five hours to solve a problem but uh <laughs> I I uh, I think it was just like a one liner that I didn't have in some like bash RC file or something and it was just like a really really simple problem but when you're new you just you're not really you're not familiar with the command line you're not familiar with a lot of just a lot of uh, the whole environment. So everything's new. And I was thinking about this recently, because uh, I was I was when I was at the Ruby meetup, we had someone who was new there, and they were interested in learning Ruby. So I, I thought I would help them out and help them install like the new version of Ruby, because I had 1.8.7, I think. And we just kept running, like, every time I tried to install some software, we needed another piece of software. And ev- eventually we hit a dead end, because they needed Xcode. And it, I remember having to do that on my own. And it, it it was a day-long process and so just getting the environment set up can be a big barrier. Which is why things like um, Code Academy are nice, because you can get hit the ground running. They have the environment online.
1: So I have to ask then, do tools like RVM and Rails installer and things like that make it easier?
4: Yeah, I think uh, I I mean I love homebrew. I just like brew install whatever and it just happens. That's great. But like if you're if you're new, you don't even know about homebrew so you, you like you see all these things like how to install and you could either do one line or you mess with a bunch of configuration and so it's just like i think it really helps to reach out reach out to the community and i think uh ruby like ruby meetups are a great place to like get in contact with someone and ask them like how do i get set up like what should be what should i be looking at to get started
2: uh it took Go me ahead. months to to get my environment set up i i tried so many times by myself i'm pretty stubborn um, and I've gotten a lot better at asking for help, but literally four months to even get my environment set up. And this was—I uh, is Rails Installer available for Mac now? I'm not or is sure. It s- still just Windows. I I know in the uh, workshops, Rails Installer is widely used and everyone loves it. And
0: I I, I believe that Takedo, you know, uh, Yehuda Katz's thing that's like a Rails Installer.
1: Is coming along.
2: Oh, cool!
0: Yeah, he's he, he's making good progress there.
1: RailsInstaller.org does show a, a kit for OS X.
2: Awesome. One thing
3: I wanted to add is, uh, as a beginner, getting started with um, try Ruby, Code Academy, and learn Ruby the hard way. I think what's what's great about those tutorials is you can. It's basically a perfect closed universe, right? There's a there's a question and there's a right answer, and if you don't get it right, you just come back later and try it again, and you move on to the next tutorial, and you're you feel like you're making progress. The harder leap is when you actually have to push something live, and you are (laughs) you're not sure where in Rails your app needs the most work or where things are falling apart, and I think the, the imperfect universe of that is, is harder to deal with. But as far as introductory tutorials, it's, uh, it's just great that there's, there's so much out there to get you comfortable with Ruby. I think another thing that as a beginner, I, I struggled understanding at first was migrations. Migrations definitely tripped me up and everything related to the controller view layer. So when you put something in the controller and you hope it shows up in the view, I, I'm not sure if those are the best words to describe it, but a lot of tutorials don't go in depth enough into the mechanics of that. So some, I oftentimes find myself um, guessing like, oh, I think I put this in the controller, right? And I hope I called it in the view properly and then checking and then also learning like the different ways to do that. I think those like, those environments are a lot harder to get going with. But as far as the basic tutorials, there's, there's so many great things out there.
4: Yeah, when I started out, I followed a lot of tutorials And they were really great because they got me like in the workflow. But I found myself a lot of times just sort of copying, um, just copying what the tutorial said without truly like really understanding what I was doing. Mm. And so yeah, and and, like, so then when I'd go off and try to do my own app, it was basically almost every time I ran into a problem. So like, how do I add comments to whatever, I would just Google like how to do it every single time. And I wasn't really programming creatively, and it took a while before I could actually start solving my own problems and not just look on Stack Overflow for like examples of how to do something every time I ran into a problem, like any time I wanted to do any new idea. It's sort yeah, of yeah. the life
5: of a developer, though, in general, isn't it? Where you basically um, you, you, have, you have some fundamentals under your belt, and you try to um, build off of those as best you can, but it, you're going to oftentimes hit a, a stumbling block where you just don't know what the next step is going to be. And that's where you need to reach out for, you know, um, either a Google search or, or a Stack Overflow or what have you. So what you've described there, Matt, I don't think is any, any different than any, anybody else for sure. Because, uh, I think that uh, it's, there it was certainly the case. It's certainly been the case for me in my entire career for sure.
2: Yeah. Now I'm just not embarrassed to Google. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that I think the confidence is the biggest change. Like, well, But at the beginning, like, approaching a problem that I didn't understand was embarrassing that I, I didn't, uh, that I didn't understand it. Now it's like, whoa, this application is a hundred times bigger than I could ever hold in my brain. Who cares if I don't understand it? Like, who cares if I don't understand what this is doing? Like, I'm just gonna go figure it out. Uh, and I think that, but the thing is, I don't think you can artificially Make that happen sooner, I think you have to go through being being an idiot while programming, and yeah. then you get there. and I think uh, any attempts to rush that uh, are misplaced.
1: I, I find yeah. that interesting because basically what you're saying is that experience is knowing where to get the answers.
0: Yeah, I don't think that feeling ever goes away. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and, and I and I can't tell you how like how much of my day is spent copying error messages out of the terminal exactly. and pasting them into the Google search <laughs> yeah. box. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, I do that a bunch of times every day. So that, that is actually a really great skill to preserve from your newbie days because it will, it will uh, help you out uh, for much of your career, I think.
1: Uh, a but. side note on that, if you do find the answer, and it's kind of hard to find in Google... Write a blog post and make sure that the exact text from the error is in there, so the rest of us can get it. <laughs> yeah oh, that's
3: an awesome idea yeah and,
1: and and the other good
0: netiquette around that is that if you post a question and then you figure out the answer on your own, you can come back and post the uh, post the answer on that thread in wherever you are and right. then because it, it, it's you know there there's all of these uh, sort of like landmines littered across stack overflow or or wherever where people say, "Oh, I got this error." And then, like,
4: they follow up later and say, Oh, I figured it out. Never mind. And they're like, What's the answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something I've definitely gotten better at doing. Cause when I started out, I never, it was difficult to articulate what problem I was actually having. And, uh, and so as, and as I've, uh, continued to program, like now I can actually sort of know the correct language to search for and figure out, uh, my problem. So. I think it's like a part of getting better at programming is part of getting better at Googling your problems.
1: So I, I'm going to change uh, tracks again unless somebody else wants to jump in here. My question now is um, we read on the Dreyfus scale in, in uh, Andy Hunt's book, Pragmatic Thinking and Learning, that experts kind of work off of intuition built on their experience and novices tend to need kind of prescribed steps to solve the problems that they encounter. My question is, is it seems like there's a little bit of impedance mismatch because the experts have something that the novices need and that is the the knowledge to solve the problem. Do you run into this and how can experts be more engaging with novices? Like how can we solve your problems better?
3: So uh, I, I can actually speak a little bit to that. So sometimes I'll read a best practice and I won't understand why that's a best practice. So I just won't obey it anyway. And then I learn why it's the best practice. So um, <laughs> an example is like, you're not supposed to delete your migration files, right? But I didn't know why. I was like, well, I can see the schema and the schema RB file, so why not just delete them? And then I deleted them, and then all of a sudden, like, my app didn't work, and I then very clearly and, like, fundamentally understood why. And I think that's something the novice has to do. It's kind of like the metaphor of how do you get a good sense of direction when you're when you're traveling? And the way you do that is you get lost and you get so lost that you remember, oh, I'm not supposed to go this way because that's not the way I'm going. And it's in the process of getting lost over and over again and getting yourself unlost that you find your way around the place well. And I think the same thing has been with Ruby and Rails. It's like, hey, this is a best practice. And I'm like, why? And then I just don't do it or I do the opposite. And I'm oh, that's why. Okay, <laughs> now I understand.
1: So we point out the tripwires and then let you blow your own legs off?
2: Basically, (laughs) yeah. Oh my. (laughs) I think, I think one main thing, Chuck, also is, um, I, so I mentioned Seattle RB before, but, uh, Seattle RB was fundamental in getting me started, particularly the help of, uh, Ryan Davis. And, um, what Ryan would do because I was so stubborn (laughs) is, um, I wouldn't ask for help. Um, so I would spend a couple days working on a really stupid problem. I can't even imagine what we're now, (laughs) but, um, he would say work for half an hour on a problem. If you can't figure it out, just come back to me and I'll help you with the answer. And I think that, that mentorship at a distance is really helpful. And that's the same thing that Jeff Casimir did at jump, uh, at hungry Academy is if you really get stuck, don't spend your whole life on it getting frustrated, but come come and ask the question. But do it on your own first, because you do need those sea legs like Aaron was talking about.
3: Another thing, at to, least, to build on that, I used to be hesitant to ask because I was worried I'd waste my mentors' time. But then I realized that the questions that I'm asking them, they can answer in less than a minute. And now that I feel like I'm not imposing on their time, I'm more likely to ask after struggling with something for an hour, and it's just it's just much better for both people because you, um, you get along out, you get out of your problem, and the mentor feels like, hey, I'm helping you out on a regular basis, and I think I think that works out well.
0: I, I'm curious, have have any of you gotten to the point where you've um, you've discovered the educational uh, benefits of teaching other people?
2: Totally, I helped out with a. a- Beginning Ruby class at Codemash just for one session, but up until just now, uh, or Codemash a couple of weeks ago, um, I didn't really feel confident in what I knew, but when I went to this beginning, uh, Ruby course and people were asking me questions, I knew how to answer them. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Like, this is the same kind of question I would ask if I was in this class and I can, I can answer it confidently. So it it makes a world of difference to be able to confidently tell people which direction to go or what the answer is.
4: I was involved with a, uh, a group called Hack Days, which is uh, part of TechEd NYU. Um, I, was, I was a co-organizer of the event last semester. And so uh, we, we did give like talks and stuff. And afterwards, people would come up to me with the Ruby problems because I was like the Ruby guy in the group. And I would like show them like how like, uh, I'd show them things that I'd built before because they wanted to know how like, uh, they would do a certain thing. And I would, so I'd opened up like uh, maybe like a rake file and they just asked me all these questions. And I realized that I did not know the answers. I just kind of left it abstracted away from me as I was, I was, as I was building these things. And so it was basically learning together. We'd like Google like what they were asking and figuring out what's the difference between this and that. And it was definitely a great learning experience for both of us.
0: Okay, that sounds pretty cool. Any anybody else, Aaron or or Jeff? Have you have you guys been uh, been helping other people learn now too?
3: Yeah, actually, uh, there's a good friend of mine. She's a teacher, and she wants to learn to code to work at an ed tech startup here in San Francisco. So she was filling out one of her applications the other day, and she asked me to come help. And uh, I sat down, and it was a very like it was a very you know not basic Ruby problem, but something that you'd see. Um, in an introductory tutorial and I actually figured it out and I helped her out. And when I looked at her code, I didn't see what was wrong right away. But when I sat down with it, played around with it for maybe 20, 30 minutes, I got it. And then I got to um, got to give her some pointers. And she also said, hey, uh, what do I do when I get errors? And I said, oh, just copy and paste and put it in Google and you'll find someone else has your error. And that completely changed her day because now she <laughs> does that. <laughs> so, uh, right. yeah, you, you guys were talking about that, but that's definitely what um,
5: what everyone does. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, the great thing about um, being a part of groups is that oftentimes... And while I'm not in any sort of organizing, organized mentoring sort of scenario, um, the really nice thing is that when you work with groups that you often are just sort of bouncing ideas off of one another and one person's question can lead to your, uh, deeper understanding of the subject by leaps and bounds. So, um, that, that's one of the great things about, um, uh, trying to, to build something, uh, with a team or, um, with uh, other individuals outside of, um, you know, in the community and that sort of thing. Okay, so,
0: sweet. The, uh, so I'm, I'm, um, Jeff, you got dangerously close to talking about one of my favorite subjects there, which is pair programming, which is, you know, like on teams, it's a great way to, you know, direct your programming interactions so that you can share information really well. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm curious, like, you know, the Ruby community seems like it's really big on agile development and extreme programming compared to a lot of other communities. And I, so I'm wondering, it, has that been a big part of, or even a small part of how you guys have been uh, learning how to develop in Ruby? Has, has that just been part of the world or has it been off your radar or has it been something that is a distraction? I mean, just t- tell me about agile.
5: So this is definitely something that I'm striving toward. And that's one of the reasons why I've uh, continued to be um, driven toward, um, driven in this, in, in Ruby. Um, and I've, I've had, um, you know, the, be- I've had opportunities um that I just need to basically close uh the deal on because um people are are offering and I just need to de- actually take take people up on that offer and that's that's actually half the challenge of being um new to that environment is um knowing how and when to take advantage of opportunities when they are offered.
4: Yeah, I had a really great um pair programming experience this past summer. I went to a hackathon and I, our group decided to build our um our hack on Ruby on Rails, and one of the people in our group had never used Ruby on Rails before, but they're a very good developer who like worked for work work for Google, and so so we paired up, and it was just a really good experience because I had to be the driver because I was one familiar with the language and the framework, but the uh, my partner knew a lot more about like programming and web stuff and just uh, art, web architecture than I did, so they were like there as a guide, but like I had to be the one typing and um, like on the driver's seat. So that was one of the, like, I think those five hours I learned more than one of the most, some of the most I've ever learned in five hours of programming.
2: Two things for me uh, in terms of approaching projects um, with agile methodology. I I absolutely require it now. Like um, I live in pivotal tracker because it helps me stay on track. My background's in project management. So like learning about Agile, learning about um, using those methods for software development absolutely made sense. And so if I'm doing things that are not in a story, I know I'm off track. As In terms of pair programming, I, I feel like it's a mixed, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's really crucial. And like being on an engineering team at Living Social, I have the opportunity to pair a lot. One trap that I think just sort of happens is um, if you're working on something very complex and you're pairing with a novice, it's possible that <laughs> it, the novice is just sitting there watching you write code. And I, I know there are, there are other ways of getting around that, um, different pairing styles, but um, it gets really exhausting. Uh, and I'm not sure it benefits as much as, uh, as I think it should. So I think short planned pairing sessions are great, um, but not working on huge technical problems or doing, um, pairing all the time.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Elise. Uh, the best pair programming sessions I've had is when we pick a specific feature. And uh, we don't go out of that. Because <laughs> when we, when I've tried that before in the past, it, it gets really messy. And I'm not that good with Git yet. So that learned a lot of things that way as well. But um, I also recently went to the ESPN Women's Hackathon. Amazing such a hackathon existed because it was right at the intersection of women in tech and women who love sports. And uh, I got to work for the first time with um, Python Girls, and I did the front end because I, I wasn't really familiar with Python, but it, what was really great about our team is that we um, we interacted a lot. I'm not sure how to describe it, but we, we sat down together on just about everything, and I got to work with everyone on the team on something as we put the product together, and Towards the end, we actually ended up winning one of the API prizes, which was really unexpected because we all had less than 10 weeks of programming experience at the time. So it was, it was really great that we were all around the same level. So it wasn't like someone was very advanced and others were extremely novice. We all were around the same and um, were lifting about as much weight in, in various places of the app. So that, that ended up being a really great learning experience and also trying a different language. That is so That's awesome. Really
0: cool. That's
2: really cool. Yeah, I want to move to San Francisco. To yeah, I have a lot more going on.
0: That that sounds pretty cool. I I have a um, I have a I have a, another community kind of question, and that's um, it you know what when, when I got started in the in the Ruby world uh it, you know there were you know maybe I was joining the uh the soap opera in season two right <laughs> the yeah you know, there there was that, there were the, yeah you know, the, you know it was still early days. And there wasn't as much to catch up on, but there were still uh, you know, established characters, and the, you know some of them. Some of them have left the community by now, and some are still around. Uh, but I, I remember there were a couple people who were really stand out and who were uh, inspirational for me, and, you know people like uh, Dave Thomas and Top Funky, and you know Je- you know Jeffrey Grossenbach, and uh, yeah, so I'm curious, uh, like who who are the the heroes and the role models that you people. Uh, you, know, you know, who are new to Ruby have been inspired by or look to for, um, you, know, you know, role models? Or, or are we all just a bunch of, uh, you know, tossers who, you know, you have to put up <laughs> with?
2: <laughs> definitely Josh Susser, I mean, <sighs> number one.
1: Oh, talk about a tosser. I mean,
2: <laughs>
1: He's definitely at the top of my list, too. Yeah. Okay, so present company accepted. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> not, not fishing for
0: compliments here, guys.
2: <laughs> uh, right at the top of my list right now is Sarah May. I was really, really, really excited that she gave the keynote uh, at uh, what it was that RubyConf in Denver. That was really inspirational to me. And then also just because I'm from Seattle, Aaron Patterson. Jeff, Ryan, Eric Hodel are all very influential and helpful for me.
5: Yeah, to add to that list, um, you know, um, I, I just have to say, I, cause, because this is, this has come up regularly whenever I've had an opportunity to, you know, chat with people or show people the presentation, but, uh, Katrina's, um, presentation on refactoring was, um, such a big thing, um, and it still continues to be such a big thing. Um, that, you know, I've even had people say that, uh, Katrina's, uh, presentation, uh, inspired them to become, um, uh, be- to get into software development at all, uh, which is really awesome. Um, the other, the other, other person who really got me enthusiastic actually about, um, working more heavily in open source was, uh, Steve Klapnick. Um, he's really been amazingly accessible, um, just uh, through Twitter just by itself, and uh, he made me feel uh, more confident that I could actually participate even in a limited fashion um, in open source projects, um, which was really very cool. Um, but that's just to carry on from that uh, awesome list that you've already started. Actually, I
3: actually have a, an interesting story to share. Uh, the person who I who I interact with a lot is, uh, her name is Eve, and her... Twitter handle is Evadni. You guys should, should check her out. But I actually met her at Phil's in uh, San Francisco. She, was, she just happened to be sitting in front of me, and I just started a conversation with her. I was like, hey, what are you working on? And um, she was working on a, an iPhone app at the time, definitely a polyglot. So she does Rails, uh, iOS stuff, and a little bit of JavaScript stuff on the side. And um, she basically dropped out of high school to do programming full time and um, ended up not going to college because she's just been hacking on whatever, whatever she's wanted to hack on. But what's, what's great about her is she thinks through problems very clearly. And when we work together, she shares, when she shares her thought process with me, I learned just by listening um, to how she thought through something. And then when she codes, she's extremely fast. It almost makes you dizzy if you're just Watching her computer screen, and one time we were at Phil's, and she was coding next to me, and I w- I was watching her, and we were working on something, and these two guys came up to us, and they they basically were like. Hey, we're hiring developers. Here's our card. Come call us and interview. And I was like, wow, I've never seen this happen before. I think (laughs) someone just tried to hire you. And she basically said, okay, thanks. And she put their card in her pocket. And I don't know. I don't think she ever reached out to them. But um, I'm in contact with her a lot. And she's she's the person who helps um, me get unstuck. So I really, really look up to her and have learned so much from her. Yeah, it's at evadne.
5: Yeah, I've also got a um a friend who I work um he works in a, a different um company than I do, but we work in the same colo and he he's been just nothing but an, an absolute asset as far as any questions that I would have. Um and he's actually helped uh build sort of a small group that we're we're starting to um to dive into other pieces of um of, of Ruby development as well, which has been a lot of fun. It's really nice to have that uh that that person that uh, you're you're close to that you can basically ask whatever question that you might have.
3: Definitely, definitely. I
4: have a, I have a great group of friends from uh, the club I was in at during school called Tech at NYU, and we even have our own IRC chat room, and there's about four or five of us on there every day, and whenever we have problems, like whether it be JavaScript, Ruby, or Python, or some whatever, uh, we just kind of can ask each other and lean on each other. And I also got a job that way, so one of the people that was in the the group graduated and started to work at um, a new startup in New York City, and then I went and worked with them. And we got to just program twice a week, all day, and just look evaluate each other's code, and just having that camaraderie was just, uh, yeah, really inspiring. That's awesome. And they're all great guys, so. Very
1: cool. All right, well, um, I think... I think we're pretty I, I, close to time. It, it, I've, I, I have one. I have one more question. Good. Uh, I, the, I, the, I love this, and I want to keep it going. But yeah, yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, well, I, yeah. So th- this is this is one that's that's pretty topical, and and came up on parlay, and we were talking about uh, Steve Klabnik, uh did a post uh, last week, I think, called Rails has two default stacks, where he talks about the omakase. Stack, which is uh, you know David Heinmer Hansen's, hey, this is the Rails defaults. This is what we ship with out of the box, uh, and it's the you know we've curated all of the all the defaults for something that we think makes sense and they go well together. But Steve was talking about here's this Prime Stack where uh, pretty much everything is different, but they still play well together. And I'm curious that you know the the you know for people who are just starting out in Rails, did this did this help? Uh, like clarify how you thought about all the different technology people talked about in their blog posts and and how things fit together, or is it just like a big confusing mess about where you know you sit down to do a Rails project and you have no idea which pieces of technology you should be using? Or, I mean, what? It, so it's you know when I started doing Rails, there there wasn't too far you could stray off the golden <laughs> path.
1: That's so true.
0: Yeah, it's like you could just use ERB, or and and then there was oh god, what was it called? It was like Hamel, but uh, it was it uh, was it was Why the Lucky Stiffs um, uh, Markaby, I think is uh-huh. what it was called. So so there weren't too many options, and like it was hard to use
1: Postgres. Yeah, <laughs> this this is a question that I wanted to ask too because yeah, when when I got started, it was Model View Controller, and yeah, everything was pretty much set, and then you just dumped everything else in public. And so, and now you have the whole uh asset pipeline and things like that, and so yeah, it is it hard?
2: <laughs> you know I, I this actually I think brings up a bigger question too, but i I don't understand what the big fuss is about. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> like you can modify anything you want. The wonderful thing about being in Hungary Academy was I got to try so many different things, so I tried Hamel and I tried thin and I tried, you know, a myriad different modifications. And, um, and <laughs> so I don't know, I, I don't, I guess for, for defaults, like, yes, they're there, but I'm happy to change them based on either project requirements or my preferences, like, nah, big deal. <laughs> but then also, uh, I, I think this brings up another question that I'd like to talk about uh, maybe before we close, which is, is it okay to be a programmer and not really care about the technology conversation? <laughs> um, because <laughs> I find that I just get upset <laughs> a lot of times by the back and forth and that it actually has very little bearing on what I do day to day because it's so opinion-laden and emotion-laden. And I I don't have enough bandwidth <laughs> for it.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, and I don't think it reflects on you or anyone else. My tendency is to kind of ignore a lot of those conversations until it, it's a conversation about something that's causing me pain. So, I mean, I switched to Hamill because. I was routinely leaving off closing tags and a couple of other things that that Hamill just solved for me, and so I switched over to Hamill, and I still use ERB about half the time. But, you know, until it's a real pain, yeah, you're not not losing out, you're not being delinquent in any way by not, you know, paying attention. Um, At the same time, though, some of these conversations have more to do with shaping the community than they do about the technology stack, and those are the ones that I think everybody should at least be aware of.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I think also
3: when uh, when you're new, I guess you just don't really understand the, um, the intricacies. So for example, I've been hearing a lot of people say, oh, you should switch over to PostgresQL. And I actually just don't know why. Um, and they'll say, oh, it's better. It, it, it's just a better database. But um, like you said, Chuck, it hasn't been a pain point yet. And I haven't... I haven't bumped into it enough to where I start thinking, oh, I think I should start to do that. Whereas um, same thing here, like my HTML files or ERB files are really, really crazy on the HTML, and they're starting to get so crazy that it's a pain for me to look at them. And now I'm starting to think, hey, I think I should switch over to Haml so that it's easier for me to read my own files. And I think that might be, for beginners, a a good way to know when, um, when to start getting into the conversation around uh, different types of technologies. But the okay. same thing is with testing. Like, I don't know. I don't really know the difference between RSpec, spec cucumber mini test. Like it hasn't gotten there yet, but I'm sure it will one day. And, um, and that's when I'll start
0: tuning in. So, so Aaron, I want to say, I want to say just one thing about the, that HAML being the, the thing to do to solve the insanity in your view templates because they get crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it might make them more readable, and, and easier to uh, sort of understand what you wrote there, but that the you know, maybe a better way to uh, deal to deal with that is to try and simplify the structure of things so that you don't need to use something like Hamel to understand what's going in the templates.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, some um, someone on Twitter, um, his name is Philip. He actually read my code. Spitfire and he said, Hey, this page is extremely redundant. Um, you should try and refactor it. And then I had to look up like, what's refactoring, how do you do it? And, uh, he helped me out with that. And yeah, it, I actually counted, I went from over 96 lines of code to like 30. So that helped, Ooh, nice. definitely helped a lot. And <laughs> awesome. yeah, it, it's important.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes using a, um, a more manual tool or a harder tool, uh, Forces you to clean up the underlying stuff, more, much more effectively than using a, a tool that lets you gloss over the pain more easily. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there are merits both ways. You just have to weigh what what you want out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's not like Hamill's a bad thing at all,
0: but um, and, well, maybe it is. But the...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not opening up that can yeah. of worms right now. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I just can't go on record as saying Hamill is is great, <laughs> Um uh Matt Jeff I don't I don't think we've we've heard from you talking about this.
4: Yeah, so I like to I've been recently I've just been sort of uh trying out all kinds of different things very briefly not spending too much time with it just to kind of get an understanding of what people are talking about. So, like, so for example people are uh talking about um JavaScript frameworks. I I've looked at Angular, Backbone, a little bit of Ember just to kind of get a feel for what they're talking about and so and then, like I don't know, just understanding like what's out there is really nice. So, like as of yesterday, I was trying to do model a many-to-many relationship, and I realized it was going to take a lot of hits to the database, and it was going to get like a little complicated. And I, I remembered that I'd uh, seen the presentation on MongoDB, and so just like quickly went through a tutorial on MongoDB, and it had like a perfect command to do exactly what I wanted. And so I think it's just nice to understand that there are uh, like other options. I don't, I don't get as passionate about it though. Like, um, so yeah, some people will really, really get argue, argue about it, but I guess that comes with years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You don't fight about it until you have real experience. (laughs) No, I'm (laughs) just kidding. Yeah. I I think it really just comes down to, I mean, some of these, some of the technologies have some obvious flaws. And so if you can live with those flaws, it's a trade-off that you're accepting, but
5: yeah. I might be one of the few Rubyists that got into it without really having a Defined to path towards Rails, and so while well, I'll, I'll um, happily admit that, um, well, maybe not happily, but I'll, I'll readily admit that Rails is definitely lacking in my uh, my experience uh, right now, and that's something I'm 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 correcting at the moment. But one of the things that uh, I had to be careful of was that the interesting thing about this for me was seeing the arguments that were in play over things in Rails specifically. Made me feel less inclined to uh, adopt it as a framework, <laughs> and because it, 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 uh, if 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 I didn't have sort of a better understanding of where where Rails had come from and uh, the the great foundation that it does have, and and that the community sort of sorts things through, I would be very, um, if I were just to look at what's the conversation has been like recently, I'd be probably very hesitant to actually adopt it as something that i'm interested in today that all being said i'm certainly uh adding it to th- the things that i'm learning you know i'm uh i'm doing a, a sort of a, a, a weekend thing with a couple of the people and i uh the our ruby group here our ruby meetup here and in, uh, in albuquerque they're uh they're branching off sort of a rails um a rails group there and so all those things are really, um, really valuable for my own educational purposes. But I, I tend to agree with the, the conversation that you have to be very careful about uh, how much you do care about where these conversations are actually going. Because a lot of times um, it can just confuse the matter of what you're trying to accomplish, which is basically to produce something really cool.
1: All right. Well, I need to start wrapping this up. So um, we're going to go ahead and do the picks let's oh i forgot elise is running the show elise why don't you (laughs) pick people to give picks
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh uh Uh, matt do you want to start
4: sure i can start so uh my first pick is craft coffee it's a coffee of the month subscription service where i interned this past fall and i was writing ruby code there and uh what they do is each month their coffee experts do blind evaluations of Uh, 50 plus coffees from dozens of roasters and pick the top three so as a subscriber you receive the top three coffees from uh three different roasters each month and working there was awesome because it's really good coffee and i got to drink craft coffee whenever i wanted and it's probably the best i've had so that's my that's my first pick and then my second pick is i'm uh i'm planning on traveling to south america for a little pretty soon and uh i found this site called duolingo and their slogan is, uh, learn a language while translating the web. And, uh, the idea is that you learn, like they, they have a, it's a nice software. They give you like little lessons and then you go and actually translate real text. And so you might be translating like a new journal article or Wikipedia. And one of the things they say is that if a million people used it, uh, they could translate the English wiki to Spanish in just 80 hours. So it's kind of a cool concept. I, I found out about it from, through a TED talk called, uh, massive scale online collaboration and it kind of gives you a big picture view of um like how these kinds of things can work i think it was uh started by the guy who started captchas which they now use to translate books on go- like google books
2: awesome so, so those I are love my lingo that is so cool i'm learning french though so very slowly uh yeah, I think
4: spanish portuguese french german that's all i have right now
2: awesome jeff you want to go
4: Sure. So, in
5: my, um, I've been basically trying to find um, as many places where I can, you know, sort of learn off of others as much as I can. So, in 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 that sense, I've been trying to find uh, other places, um, preferably uh, something where I can basically, you know, still be in my slippers, um, where I can basically participate in some sort of conversation and um, and and see where things are going. So. Um there's actually been a couple of, of um of sort of Ruby Hangouts. Well one's actually called uh the Ruby Hangout and they have a monthly meeting where they get together and they do a G plus thing where somebody where there's usually a presentation. Uh Jeff Cashmere did one, I think. Um and and there's been a, a variety of others, and I'm I'm afraid the other names are escaping me right now. The other is uh Bento Comp, which is something that I just found out through Parlay last week, and I participated in it um, the first time last week, and it was really great. It was basically, it was a uh, you you join a bunch of a couple other people or a few a variety of other people, and you watch a, a presentation, and then afterwards you do uh, a G plus Hangout, and you, you chat about what happened there, and that was really uh, terrific as well. Another Pick that I have um, is um, a service called uh, Code Triage, and it's really cool because basically what it does is it allows you to sign up to get daily uh, a daily email that basically points you to a GitHub issue of a, a repository that you're following, and it it pretty much allows you to get a feel for what's going on in that um, in that project, gets an idea about what the issues are there, and if you can actually participate um, as far as um, producing code to. That can do a fix there, then that's, um, then that's one way that you can sort of maintain sort of your in, uh, involvement in open source. One, one other, um, pick that I have is I, I tend to write a lot of notes. Um, I do, uh, sort of how I document my day. And I think it was, uh, on the Sandy Mess show, uh, Josh, you may have mentioned, I think you mentioned Marked, um, but, um, which is this great app that does, uh, Markdown to HTML or what have you. Well, the, the same person who's built Marked actually has another product called EnvyAlt, which is this uh, really fantastic, um, um, basically I use it for all, all my, all the notes that I take, and it directly links into Dropbox, and, um, basically I can have my notes anywhere, but when I'm working on my, uh, my, mach- my, my laptop, I've always got, you know, thousands of notes available to me at any given time. So, um, it's, it's a really great app that, uh, if you're interested, um, in basically documenting things, this is a terrific, uh, terrific service. If I can, I got two others. One is, uh, part of the thing that we, uh, that as, you know, um, per- participating in the Ruby Newbie, uh, contest, uh, we, we received a, um, a variety of discounts to, uh, a few services. Uh, one of them was the Pragmatic Studios Ruby course. And I actually took it. Um, and I, I, I wish I could say that i completed it. By the time this airs, I will have, um, but it's absolutely outstanding. Um, Mike Clark is, um, just, uh, uh, is just a fantastic instructor, really interactive on the forums, and basically it's a terrific, uh, terrific introduction to Ruby if you have uh, any sort of hangups. I, I had a little bit of experience with Ruby before I took this, uh, the studio course, but it's just been outstanding since, because uh, it fills in a lot of the blanks. And, and the one, one of the, and the presentation that I wanted to mention was the one that I actually mentioned in my video, which is, uh, Ashish it's um, making a difference right off the bat. He presented this, the Madison, uh, Ruby, uh, 2012 conference. And it's a, it's a really good, I, I think it's a, a good way that you can see how, uh, you can introduce newer developers into your, uh, workflow really quite nicely. And I think it's a, it's a really good presentation and, uh, give it a shot and take a look at it.
2: Cool. Thank you. Erin, you're up. All right. So uh,
3: my first pick is actually one that's very beginner friendly. So uh, initially, when I started pushing to Heroku, I always got hung up on the specific order of things and wasn't sure why, um, why it kept crashing. So I recommend this article by Rails apps. It's called the Rails Heroku tutorial. It covers everything in the right order. And ever since I've followed it, I've Never messed it up, so that saves me a lot of time and highly recommend it. Outside of uh, Ruby on Rails, there are two articles that actually were very influential. The first one is called Minimum Desirable Product. It's by Andrew Chen, and I'm, I think if you're in startups, you've heard the word minimum viable product before, and it's basically the minimum viable feature set that your product needs to um, you know be pushed live and have people use it. But one thing I learned um, building Spitfire is just because I built the feature uh, doesn't mean it's a product that people enjoy using or want to use, doesn't mean they understand that the feature is there for them. So I like the framework of minimum desirable because it holds you to a higher standard of not just pushing features and saying, I'm done with this feature, I got to move on to the next one. But it makes you look at the whole product and uh, view it with the lens of, is this something that my, um, my customers actually want? So that was great. And uh, a last, the last one is an article by William Derushiewicz called Solitude and Leadership. And um, he, uh, he's famous for this other article where he writes about how people who go to top colleges are basically very excellent sheep. So they, they pick a ladder to climb and they climb to the top. And then when they're at the top they're you know, they're like the CEO or, or some, someone, fa- someone fancy with a fancy title. But he writes in this article about what real leadership is. And it, it could be forging your own path or not climbing a ladder at all, but rather being someone who thinks for himself or herself. And because he thinks for himself or herself he can um, choose the right path to go down and lead others along the way. And I just thought the article was um, incredibly incredibly well-written. And he actually recommends that as leaders, um, we should spend less time on our social network feeds um, and more time thinking um, on our own, writing down our thoughts. So uh, I, I highly recommend that. And uh, yeah, those are my three picks.
2: Awesome. All right, for our special guest, uh, Charles, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I'm doing the Rails ramp-up course for people who want to learn Ruby on Rails. And uh, the system that I'm going to be using, it's an e-learning system written by a company out here called Instructure. It's actually a Rails app, and uh, they have an open source version. It, this is a system that's used across a whole bunch of different universities across the nation. They're, I think they're starting to branch out into international markets. But uh, anyway, they have this open source version. You can just go and install it on your server and use it. And uh, so that's what I've set up. I set it up on an Ubuntu uh, Linode or Linode, whatever you want to call it. And it, it just, it works great. It's got like built-in forum and wiki. Um, you can upload files. So I can upload the video files and just tell people, hey, here they are. Go get them. Stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And um it, it didn't take me too awful long to set up. It used to be more painful to set up, but it's not anymore. And uh, it looks terrific. It looks professional. And so if you're looking at doing any kind of online training and you want a system that just kind of has everything you need to run a course, then this is what I recommend. And uh, you can find it at uh, Instructure.com, I think, or Canvas.Instructure.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. The other thing that I want to mention, and I mentioned this before, is, um, I'm a member of the podcast mastermind, which is managed by uh, Cliff Ravenscraft. Um, you can find Cliff's stuff at podcastanswerman.com. Anyway, um, it, it's more of a mastermind and less about podcasting. And, uh, we just have some great discussions. I highly recommend that if you're trying to learn something or improve, on your life or your business or anything like that, that you go find a bunch of other people who are also trying to do that and just put your heads together and figure out the best way to do things like that. So um, my second pick is mastermind groups. And uh, if you're looking to form a mastermind group or you want some help, feel free to contact me. Just email me, Chuck at teachmetecode.com and uh, I'll be happy to, uh, to, to share what I have and uh, see if we can help you get something going. Um, they don't have to be in person. Uh, the groups that I meet with meet over, go to meeting. So, um, just putting that out there as well. Well, Uh, thank you. Those are my picks. Josh. Okay. Um, the, I,
0: I wanted to keep my picks short this week. So, uh, I only have one pick and, and this, I don't, I'm sure I've done a music pick before, (laughs) but I, but I can't remember what it was. So, uh, I, I, uh, thanks to uh, Tony Arcieri, uh, we were tweeting a couple days ago about uh, synth pop music. Uh, he uh, he turned me on to a new group uh, that I hadn't heard of before called parallax P A R R A L O X, and uh, they they, um, they sound a bit like like early Madonna and early Erasure and you know maybe um, you know Yaz, uh, you know so you know like. It's Vince Clark synth pop stuff. They're a lot of fun, and I it, so Tony pointed me at this uh, video that they did uh, for a song that is the artwork in it is just like all of like my favorite bands from the eighties album covers animated and dancing around, and it's so it was just a really creative concept, and I had a lot of fun with it. So, but I've been enjoying the uh, the group lately. They're on heavy rotation, so I just figured I'd throw that out there as a as a fun music pick, and that's all I got this week
2: all i can think of is salmon from another dimension parallax
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's ex- and and that's exactly what they're about
2: <laughs> um okay i'll do my picks really quickly so we can get wrapped up the reason i got into the ruby community was because uh i was doing marketing for them and luckily um i'm very lucky that i get to continue um, my marketing side business and help out some really cool technology companies. Um, that company is called Brandworthy. Um, and two of the companies that I work with that I think deserve lots of attention, um, the first one is called Cloak. And it is a very immaculately designed VPN. So when you're working at a coffee shop it, it just automatically turns on you have, you know, uh, and you're protected from all those kinds of threats. I love this because I work from coffee shops a lot of the time now. Um, and the second one is Brian Helmkamp's Code Climate. Um, I listened to Sandy Metz's being on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh, she, she referenced it too, but it, it gives really excellent statistics for for your code and cleaning up your code. And I'm really lucky that I get to work with both of those companies um, on the side helping them grow their businesses. Um, and my last pick has nothing to do with that. I like to spend a lot of time uh, not doing programming things. Um, so I like to read and play games and watch good TV. I just finished a really cool book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. And it is a bunch of short stories about clinical maladies that impact the brain. So the the title story is literally a man who could not recognize the face of his wife and thought she was a hat. Um, so I think that's a really awesome read. And it's uh, technical in just a, a different way and uh, just really nice prose. So those are my three.
0: That, yeah, that's that book. That is amazing you picked that book. I mean, it's like all of my friends were reading that when, when I was in college for a class that they took and I got to read a little <laughs> bit of it. It was just yeah. like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's really
2: good. It's old. It's good though.
1: What happens if I mistake Joshua hat?
0: Uh, you, you'll have like uh, red sparkles in your eyes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you telling people to go watch our uh, keynote from uh, RailsConf last year? Yeah, 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 the, yeah. Uh, so, so
0: Elise, um, the um, uh, what what you said about uh, about code climate. I uh, just want to remind people we did uh, we've done two episodes with Brian Helmkamp, and we did one that was really uh, focused on uh, metrics and uh, and you know the kind of stuff code climate does. Uh, awesome. Check- Chuck, do you remember which one that was?
1: Um, I can find out real fast. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about the book club book real quick while I do that?
0: Oh, yeah. We have a book club coming up, um, which is The Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture by Martin Fowler. And uh, it's 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 not a new book. It's been out for, uh, I guess, a decade or something like that. And, and a lot of it... Um, if, if it's kind of crazy, you open the book and you take a look at the list of patterns that it, it is addressing, and it sounds like you're looking at the list of classes from rails. So it's, it's just you know very much where, where DHH got a lot of uh, his, his uh, direction for how you put rails together. So I think it, it helps uh, give a good grounding in what Rails was developed to be. And we're we're gonna have Martin come on the show. We're gonna talk about the book, you know, standard book club thing. So go uh, go pick up Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture, and uh, we'll have Martin on the show. Uh, I think in a month or so.
1: Yep. Yeah, and the episodes that Brian was on was on were um, uh, forty one, where we talked about code metrics, and eighty three, where we talked about fat um, models. Oh,
0: cool. So so so. Uh, Elise and Aaron and Matt and Jeff, I want to thank you for having us on the show with you.
3: <laughs> thank yeah, you. It's, it's been awesome. awesome. Yeah.
1: Can I just say you squee- <laughs> squee- <laughs> <laughs> I got to be on the show with those guys. <laughs> the, d- 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 do you guys want to
0: tell people like your Twitter handles or anything so that they can uh, keep up with you and what you're up to in the world?
3: Sure. Mine is a uh, never bend easy.
0: And say your name again so
4: people
3: can. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this yeah. is Aaron, and mine is never bend easy.
4: Mine is my name. So it's uh, my Twitter handle is at Matt You might need to spell that. <laughs> we'll put it in <laughs> the show <laughs> notes too. So, uh, Matt, and then R U Z I C K A.
2: This is Elise, and mine is my name, which is E L I S E, worthy, like the word W O R T H Y. That's my GitHub too
5: and uh for mine jeff it's uh it's at geopet and that's the same for my github so it's g e o p e t
0: awesome that's great well well this has been uh, a a really great morning for me to get to chat with you all i i think i definitely learned a lot
1: yeah i think and- i think we really got some perspective on on what it takes to get into ruby these days so
2: yeah thanks for having us on i mean uh, I don't even know how to say that. So thanks for coming, guys.
5: Thanks for having us on, but also thanks for um, producing such quality shows on a week-to-week basis. Um, it's been just such an eye-opener, and so informative. Every week I get an opportunity to learn uh, so much more through you guys, so I, I really appreciate what you you all are doing um, for, for, for Ruby and for our community as well.
4: Oh, thank you
1: well thanks i appreciate that it's it's always nice to hear that people like the show so yeah. <laughs>
0: yes but we don't do it because we want people to hate it so. <laughs> 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 although i think there must be some part of out there where that's what their goal is <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs>
5: anyway th- th- thanks so much guys i just wanted uh, um to thank uh Ryan Bates and Railscast, um, and the Ruby Monk project and the, um, uh, Studios for supporting the Ruby Newbie project. It's been great to use those and, uh, have those assets available to us.
2: Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.